0: Hi, I'm Mary C. Curtis, and this is Equal Time. Despite record-low Black unemployment and a higher labor force participation rate than whites, major barriers impede home ownership among African Americans, a fact that contributes to a yawning racial wealth gap. The gap is so expansive that the 400 wealthiest Americans control the same amount of wealth as the 48 million Blacks living in the United States. Importantly, however, there are solutions. Dr. Courtney Johnson-Rose serves as president of the National Association of Real Estate Brokers, known as NAREB, the premier network of black real estate professionals and one of the oldest minority trade associations in the country, with more than 100 chapters nationwide. The organization is sponsoring a black wealth tour in cities around the country, with Dr. Rose and NAREB representatives leading classes, workshops, and one-on-one counseling to advise families on home buying, investing, and careers in real estate. With her background, both personal and professional in the field, Dr. Rose is the perfect leader to tackle this challenge. And she is my guest on this episode of Equal Time. Welcome to Equal Time, Dr. Courtney
1: Johnson-Rose. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: So tell our listeners, how is home ownership connected to Black wealth?
1: Well, home ownership traditionally has been a cornerstone for wealth building. When you think about the African-American community and the wealth that we do have, 60% of our wealth is with our home equity. So 60% of our wealth, most of our wealth that we do have is attributed to home ownership. So when we look at wealth building for African-Americans, owning a home is one of the easiest, uh, most cost-effective uh, ways that they can build wealth is through real estate. The other thing that I always say is that real estate is very practical, meaning you got to pay for somewhere to live anywhere, anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> why not own it? Why not gain equity? Uh, why not experience some of the other benefits that come from home ownership, too? That if I have a moment, stats show that children who grow up in homes that their family own do better in school. They feel more settled, uh, they feel uh, more confident when they grow up in a home that their parents own. So it's some social impact. Uh, stats show that uh, folks that are homeowners are more connected to their community. They're more likely to belong to church and to vote and to be active citizens in their communities when they own a home. So there's financial benefits to it, but there's also a lot of social benefits to it the pride of home ownership and having a stake and having something to pass along to your family is really important, uh, but particularly important to Black America.
0: Well, that certainly makes a lot of sense. So why is closing the Black-white wealth gap
1: so important? Yeah, so the gap is right now 30 to 31%. And we really haven't seen a lot of movement over the past few years. Now, what
0: does that mean in practical terms? I, yes. I, I heard, yes.
1: Yes. So I will give an example where we'll, we can just equate it to homeownership. So black homeownership sits at about 44 to 45% currently. White homeownership sits at 76%. So you see that gap in terms of homeownership is also a gap in in our wealth. And the racial wealth gap is a significant contributor to inequities that plague communities of color. Black and Hispanic households have significantly less wealth than their white counterparts. NARAP produces a report called the State of Housing in Black America Report. We call it SHIBA. And it found that the black wealth gap is so expansive that the 400 wealthiest Americans control the same amount of wealth as the 48 million Black Americans living in the country. So just imagine that 400 wealthiest Americans control the same amount of wealth as the 48 million Black Americans living in the the country. So closing this wealth gap is really important as it comes to generational wealth. Um, and we talked about some of the social benefits as as well, but it's an important factor for us to be able to close this wealth gap. At NARAD, we believe that real estate is one of the best ways to be able to actually do that. But just know that it's, it's a socioeconomic issue is how big this wealth gap is.
0: Wow. When you put it like that and give those numbers, that's stunning. Could you talk about why closing this gap is good for all Americans?
1: Yes, I love that question because it really is good for all Americans. And, you know, data shows this, um, that if we were able to close the wealth gap, it would increase the GDP. Our gross domestic policy goes up. Data shows that if you close the wealth gap, there's not as much crime in our uh, uh, communities, issues that we're having with the education system, all of these social issues that we have that our communities are plagued with, a lot of it is attributed to wealth and opportunities and opportunities to gain wealth and opportunities to be settled with your family and to have the resources in terms of money that you need to be able to support yourself. So just know that it's an economic issue and our country can benefit economically. We'll be a stronger country economically if we're able to close this wealth wealth gap. And then secondly, socially, a lot of the challenges that we deal with with education and crime would be somewhat eliminated if we were able to close the wealth gap and make sure that resources are spread adequately across the country in a fair way. To the total population.
0: You know, in many ways, uh, Courtney, Dr. Rose, you are the perfect person to lead this National Association of Real Estate Brokers because uh, you have a lifelong personal connection to the field of real estate and why Black home ownership matters. Could you talk a little bit about your own family background and how this has been a part of your mission? For a long time.
1: (laughs) For a long time. Yes, I really appreciate that. So first, I'll just start by sharing that I'm a second generation Realtist. Members of NARAP are called Realtists because when we were founded in 1947, the organization was founded. Our members who were black Americans could not become realtors. So when NAVRAP was founded, we called ourselves the real TIS because of discrimination. Uh, We founded our own association. So with that, I am proud to be a second generation real TIS. That means that my father was a member of the association and is a member of the association. And I remember, Mary, when I was eight years old, my dad was a real estate broker here in Houston, Um, He had one of the largest black owned offices here in the the city, and he was president of our local NARAB chapter. So I literally grew up around NARAB, grew up around real estate, grew up around a real estate office. But what it did for me is it gave me a perspective. And this perspective that I had was that black people could do anything. Because if I went to my dad's office after school and I saw black real estate professionals there helping black families buy real estate, sell real estate. We had a closing attorney that office with us. I saw a black female attorney. I saw lenders. I saw people shaking hands and doing business. And in my perspective, we bought homes. We buy real estate we are um, creating generational wealth. We can do it. So I had a different perspective when I learned about that our community is only at 45% Black home ownership. I said, wait a minute, I saw families buying homes, but not realizing that what, that's not the majority of us. That's only about half of us, a little bit less than, than half that's actually participating in this wealth building process. But what it did for me my family background and being a part of a second generation real estate office is give me the perspective that it can happen. To give me the the the, the perspective that we can do it. If we're given the op- given the opportunity and the resources, we can do it. And I've seen it done Before, So I approached this position with a lot of confidence about what can happen in our community when we work together and very focused on opening up this door uh, for other black Americans that maybe not even know that they could do it um, and know the benefits of actually doing it. So I'm very focused on that. But I appreciate my background. And appreciate my family's business. And it's an honor for me to now be a second generation realtor, second generation leader with, with NARAP, but most importantly, to have the opportunity to be able to teach and train and educate our community as a whole on the importance of homeownership and owning real estate. Well, it makes
0: such a difference when you have that example right in front of you and you are serving, you are serving as that example, you know, for so many uh, people. It was interesting that you talked about the organization was formed because there was so much segregation in the field. So let's talk a little bit about the why there is such a wide racial gap in wealth and home ownership. There, is, there are huge historical reasons for that as well. Isn't that correct?
1: Yes. So systematic racism um, is something that created the wealth gap. When you look at, um, you know, how this gap happened, there's seeds from the disparity in wealth grew from racist public policies and private practices in the middle of the 20th century. After World War II, for example, government policies led to the most significant expansion of the American middle class in the nation's history. This resulted from policies like the GI Bill, which provided veterans with free college education and inexpensive home loans. However, Black veterans were rarely able to take advantage of these policies because of the discrimination of the way that it was administered. We have other examples of redlining. We have other examples of blockbusting. So these practices is what created the gap in homeownership, systematic racism, policies, and things of that nature that locked our community out of being able to own real estate. Now you see it exacerbated over 50, 60, 70 plus years. Uh, But just note that a lot of it has to do with policies. Uh, access to capital, access to loans is some of the reasons why we see the results that we have today.
0: Yeah, and explain to our listeners a little bit about some of these historical uh, policies. What is redlining and blockbusting? They yes. basically would not even give loans in certain neighborhoods or to certain people.
1: Yes, this is very, very true. There's deed restrictions, Mary, still today. That say in the deed restrictions, they're still on the books. They are not being enforced, thankfully, but they're still on the books that deed restrictions say we will not sell. You cannot sell your home to a black family. That's part of the restrictions. Redlining banks would say we do not lend money in these communities, in these zip codes. So there's a line, they call it redlining because there was a line on maps that said where we would lend at and where we won't lend at. So if you want to buy a home that you can afford, that's in your price range, that's in your budget, that's in the community where your parents are, a community where your where your church is, but it's it cannot get access to a loan, that's an issue. So your lack of access to financing, the lack of access to capital in these particular neighborhoods created situations where you could not become an actual homeowner. There is a story, if I can uh, share with you a scenario that was done in Seattle and it looked at two families. It was a black family and it was a white family. And the year that they started doing the research or analysis was 1976. And nineteen seventy-six was the last year that redlining was allowed legally in the Seattle area. So they looked at the family in nineteen seventy-six that was black and the family in nineteen seventy-six that was white. So the family that was white was able to purchase a home in nineteen seventy-six and it Chronicled them, this story chronicles them in their life. So they bought the home, they had children. A few years later, they were able to, to pull out money, equity out of their homes to send their children to college from that home because they have owned a home for 18 years or so. It showed that they were able to you know, pay for their kids to go to college so their kids did, didn't have uh, student loan debt. They went on, it showed how uh, when it was time for one of the kids to get married, the parents were able to pay for the wedding for the daughter without any debt because they had the, the uh, home. Shows how the parents paid the house off and then they sold the home and then they were able to buy their retirement condo um, because they had equity and they were able to uh, give their son uh, help with down payment for their son's first home, all with this house that they bought in 1976.
0: And what happened to the Black family?
1: Now, the Black family, who wasn't able to buy in 1976 because of redlining, they were not able to buy until about eight to nine years later. So they still got into home ownership, but they were eight to nine years behind. So when it was time for do- their children, they had two children too, time for their children to go to college, they didn't have enough equity in the home built up yet to pay for the kids' college. So now the children have to get student loans in order to pay for college. Well, now it's time for the kids to get married. Well, yeah. now the kids are getting married. We're still recovering from, from college. Student. The, one of the daughters has to take out money that they spend to be able to pay for the wedding. They don't have any extra resources at that time to help the son buy his first home. So you see this 10-year, yes. 8-to-10-year difference in equity. It's a big, yeah. But thousands instead of, building, of dollars.
0: Yeah, and instead of building wealth, difference. you're getting debt. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yes. And I have to break in and tell you now, the, the home and neighborhood I live in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, had restricted uh, deeds, uh, restrictions, restricted covenants. Wow. And my parents could not have lived in this home. And so... Uh, the thing of it is, is that people were able to get into it after World War II when they cost very little. And now, of course, the houses are worth quite a lot. Yes. And, it's diff- and they cannot get into them. And so the only reason I was able to get into this neighborhood is I moved from New York. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but, so uh, so yeah. New
1: but York that, equity.
0: But that's, that's the case. Uh, you know, that problem really isn't over. I, I, I was doing some research, you know, and The North Carolina Department of Justice reached a settlement in coordination with the U.S. Department of Justice's Civil Rights Division and the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Middle District of North Carolina just recently with First National Bank of Pennsylvania over allegations that the bank engaged in racially discriminatory redlining when providing home mortgage loans in Charlotte and Winston-Salem. So this isn't really just a problem of the past, is it?
1: Yes, yes. One of the things that we're seeing now too, Mary, is there is automated underwriting and lending. So you put information into the computer and the computer spits out an approval or a rejection for that borrower. We're seeing discrimination in automated underwriter writing. They've taught the computer how to discriminate. The computer knows what are these factors. Um, and they char- they're charging higher interest rates. They're charging higher mortgage fees because they are assessing risk uh, still through the automated underwriting system. So now it's getting more sophisticated, um, but the premise is still the same. Um, and that's why organizations like the National Association of Real Estate Brokers still need to exist 77 years later to try to open up the doors and break down some of these barriers.
0: And there's other reasons too. Uh, Climate change, I was interested in reading some of your reporting that that has an effect. Uh, Climate change, investors snapping up some of these properties, especially during COVID. Could you go in? Because people might say, well, what does climate change have to do with it? Uh, Yes.
1: Yes. Our State of Housing in Black America report for the second year in a row has highlighted climate change um, and identified it as a risk factor for African-American homeowners. So what we have noticed and noted is that the majority of African-Americans' highest populated areas for blacks are along the coastline. Houston's, um, New Orleans, Baton Rouge, uh, Alabama, Georgia. These are where over 50 percent of the black population is actually populated at. Well, these areas are more susceptible to climate change because they're on the coast. They're more susceptible to flooding. So one of the things that we're looking at is assessing risk. So if our worth and our value uh, and our our net worth is associated with our homes, but our homes are located in areas that are experiencing uh, very negative effects to climate change, we are concerned about black wealth. Because we work so hard and we overcome so many barriers to get into home ownership and then to get that home and to be able to have it destroyed by a natural disaster, we know that Black families don't recover as quickly from disasters like that. If you go to New Orleans right now, there's still parts of that city and communities that have not recovered, families that have not recovered wealth from that natural disaster. So we're very conscious of that in NARAB because we see over 50% of our population that we're pushing into home ownership are in these communities. So we need to educate them on insurance. We need to educate them on how do they diversify their portfolios. We need to um, educate them on building standards that they need to make sure are in their homes to protect them. Because we see the majority of our wealth, again, as I mentioned, 60% of Black wealth is in equity in their homes, but we see over 50% of our population in these communities that are very susceptible to climate change issues.
0: Yeah. And also uh, many Americans of every race trying to get into that first home. Now they're competing with some of these firms that just snap up the properties they're not going to live in.
1: Yes. So institutionalized investors, REITs, uh, large pools of funds, uh, real estate funds have come together to invest in our communities. And it's so heartbreaking, Mary, because what they do is they come in, they buy properties in bulk, and they turn us into renters. They rent back to us in our communities. Some of the things that's also disheartening is a lot of times they're buying these portfolios from other governmental agencies, um, from, you know, Fannie and Freddie and other um, institutions. Some of the banks, um, you know, bundle up their foreclosed assets, what they call REO assets, and they sell them in bulk uh, to these real estate investment trusts that then come into our communities and rent these homes out and they take the housing stock away from home ownership and only allow it to be rented. So, one of the biggest things that our state of housing in Black America report showed us is a big impediment right now to Black home ownership is inventory, housing. There's not enough affordable housing for the black community. Um, and what that means is it's in negative, And affordable housing has a negative stigma. But what it means is that there's not enough homes for people who want to purchase homes. Um, and affordability has changed significantly. Housing prices are up 40%. So if I have the same income that I had two years ago, but the house costs 40% more my ability to be able to purchase is just getting diminished. And then we couple that with institutionalized investors that are taking homes that would have gone back onto the market and would have been an opportunity for a first-time homebuyer. Now they're taking them as part of a bundle package to make them into rental property. It's really uh, also exasperating the housing shortage issue. So we see that as a major, major, major gap. NARAP recently launched, Mary, our NARAB Black Developers Academy. We are very focused on helping our members become developers and giving them the tools, the technical assistance and the resources that they need to go back into their communities and revitalize them. We see blighted homes, we see vacant properties, we see vacant lots, that if we can bring those properties back online, we can provide home ownership opportunities for our community. So just know that NARAB is very focused on increasing inventory, particularly in, in in Black minority communities.
0: Well, we have set up so many challenges. And, and what you're talking about, the development that your organization is doing, NARAB really has solutions. So that's one of them uh, yes. that you're doing to correct these concerns. And I know that you are also engaged in a very... Uh, interesting and exciting tour now, the Black Wealth Tour. Yes. So set the, set the scene on what someone yes. attending these could expect. What, what, what does it look like?
1: Mary, I'm ins- I am so excited about the NARAB Black Wealth Tour. I do want to mention the website, N-A-R-E-B, where you can see all of this information that I'm going to share. But our tour will hit 100 cities on April the 13th, 2024. And these are a series of community days. They're Saturday event. They're community events. And these community events will be happening in 100 cities on April the 13th. What to expect when you go to the community day in your city that's part of the Black Wolf Tour. There's three major things that we do. One is... Um, we set the environment. So there's always a, a real estate expo. So imagine a comfortable environment, music playing, popcorn machines, cotton candy, activities for the kids, and but the opportunity to meet real estate professionals, opportunity to meet lenders, opportunities to learn about down payment assistance programs, opportunities to interact with builders. We set the stage and we bring all of those resources for the real estate community together in a comfortable environment for our consumers for our community to be able to come and learn about the opportunities available to them. Part two is engagement. We set the stage and set the opportunity for each consumer that attends to have the option to meet one-on-one with a uh, NARAP member, a real estate professional with the lender With the NID Housing Counselor, uh, we have certified HUD counselors that are part of these events. Or with the Black Lawyer, we have a national partnership with the National Bar Association. So with that, if you want to have a 15 to 20 minute one-on-one conversation with the lawyer to talk specifically about what your concerns are or with the real estate professional or with the lender. Before you get your credit ran, I want to talk to the lender, kind of see how this process works, know what they're looking for. We provide that form as part of the Black Wealth Tour for one-on-one engagement. And then the third piece of it is the education, where we have a series of classes every hour on the hour where we are educating our community on topics that are very critical. One of our classes is ABCs of homeownership. How do I buy a house? How do I know the budget? How do I know where to look? What does a real estate agent really do? We talk about all those things. We have a course that we are very excited about that we do with the National Bar Association called What to Do with Big Mama's House. We have a serious issue in our community with heirs property and Mm -hmm. passing real estate along effectively. So NARAP Realtors with the Black Lawyers, we talk about what do you do? with your parents and your grandparents' home? How do you work with your family? We have understanding the loan process. One big thing that we're doing also to Mary is we have a course for careers in real estate. We know that there's people in our community that want to get into the real estate industry. We need the diversity. Um, So we talk about becoming an appraiser, becoming a lender, becoming a real estate agent, developing real estate. Mm
0: You so really demystify this, that process, yes. For, and these are so. these are open to the public, right?
1: Open to the public, you free just, events, free. like oh, free. One hundred cities. This will happen April thirteenth, ten to three in one hundred markets.
0: And you you'll can, be going to other cities too on different yes, dates ma'am. as well. So, what is that? Give again that uh, Nairab, website,
1: yeah. dot <laughs> com,
0: and that's where people can sign up. Yes ma'am. Yes oh, ma'am. That's and, fantastic. and
1: last thing I'll mention is if we're not in a city near you, we will also have a virtual option. So you will be able to if we're not in your city, we will you'll be able to to stream with us live and still get the education from the Black Wolf Tour on April the 13th.
0: So hear that? There's no excuse. There's virtual. No excuse. No (laughs) excuse. What what is the goal? And, you know, once you leave the city, are you working with mayors and others to continue what you start? What's going on there?
1: Yes. And we're so proud. I'm glad that you mentioned that, Mary. We're so proud of our uh, partners that are part of the uh, tour with us. Church of God in Christ is part of the tour with us. So each city has a host pastor. And that church is going to be a resource, a continued resource for that. A community within that particular city. Delta Sigma Theta Sorority is a tour partner, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity, Phi Beta Sigma, um, as well as the National Bar Association and African American Mayors Association. So through these partnerships, we have um, resources that will be available ongoing for the community. And most importantly, the tour is being hosted by our local chapters. So NARAB has over 100 chapters across the country. So after the April 13th tour date, we still have the opportunity to continue to help the community in that market through the work of the local NARAB chapter. And you can get a listing of all of those chapters and the chapter presidents on our website at narab.com. So if you're in a city, you say, hey, I want to connect with the chapter, connect with real estate professionals. We have chapters in over a hundred markets that we can we can be of continued assistance to you.
0: Wow. And- I I saw that you Are you coming through
1: Charlotte in March? We are. We are. So, So, Charlotte, we will be there March the 2nd. Mary, since you're in Charlotte, (laughs) we want to personally invite you out. We're excited about Charlotte because we are in collaboration (laughs) with Alpha Phi Alpha. Alpha Phi Alpha is having their Southern Regional Conference. And as part of their conference, they do a big community day. So, we are in collaboration with them. We'll have health screenings, we'll have diabetes checks, blood pressure checks. Uh, We have a career fair that's going on where people can come and get jobs. And then we also have the Black Wealth Tour on wealth building, investing in real estate.
0: And this is in addition to the April 13th. Yes. 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 We are very
1: busy. We are very busy. very busy. Yes. So March 2nd, we'll be at the Charlotte Convention Center.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, you're doing your part at NARAP. What policy changes can be made to increase Black home ownership? Because you've written a lot and reported a lot on the changes that can be made in the housing finance industry.
1: Yes, one big thing um, is that we're very focused on is um, the ability for us to overcome student loan debt. So uh, UNCF reports that the average black college graduate graduates with about $41,000 worth of student loan debt. And when we when we see that pop back up is when we try to apply for a mortgage and uh, the lender says start debt to income ratio is too high. So how that debt is actually calculated is something that has been detrimental to black homeownership. HUD has made some recent adjustments that have been very helpful. We're looking for those same adjustments with other financial institutions like the GSEs, Fannie and Freddie. One other thing that has been on our radar is credit scoring models. So most financial institutions use FICO as the main model. Well, there's other scoring models like Vantage Score, for example, that takes into consideration how you pay rent, how you pay your cell phone bill. You know, any African-American, they're going to pay the rent, they're going to pay the cell phone bill, bill. But currently with the FICO model, that does not count as part of your credit score. So when we say that African Americans have poor credit scores, sometimes it's not their payment history, it's the limited payment history that is being tracked. So one of the things that we're advocating for as policy changes is how and what credit scoring models are being used. Because we think that if we can use more comprehensive model, it can be a door opener for African Americans to be able to purchase more real estate. And we have our policy positions, all of them, that's part of the State of Housing in Black Mm -hmm. America report. We have done the report for 10 years. And on our website, you can see all 10 years worth uh, the SHIBA reports and be able to look at our policy positions and how they have adjusted over the past 10 years.
0: Yeah, I just want to mention, because we use a lot of acronyms when you said FETI uh, and Fanny, GSEs, stands for Government Sponsored Enterprises. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I'm so used to this conversation. No, I know You're you right, are. Mary. <laughs> I know we have a broad range of listeners. Yes, uh, ma'am. Yeah. Now, uh, I did want to ask you, you, you've referenced a lot of the, the uh, the points in the report, and you've been doing them, you say, for 10 years. Uh, Has there been progress?
1: Yes, there has been progress. It's tough because we have a long way to go, but there has been progress. In 2021 to 2022, there was 188,200 new Black homeowners that were achieved during, during that Data period. We're waiting for the data from 2022 to 2023. So we are buying homes. We are out there. We are building, building, building wealth. But it's such a enormous problem. that's so complicated. We're not going to solve this overnight. We're on a journey, if you will. You know, systematic racism. I always say that systematic racism was intentional and very effective. We still see the uh, and feel the effects of it. And it lasted over, you know, um, years and years and years, and we're still seeing it. So it's going to take several years for us to be able to overcome some of these challenges. Um, so I don't want us to be discouraged in the fight. Progress is being made. You know, our Black Wolf Tour is focused on inspiring our communities. Our report our State of Housing Black America report shows that there are more than 2 million mortgage-ready Black Americans. What does that mean? That means that they have the income and they have the credit to buy. They just haven't done it. So we have 2 million people in our communities that are mortgage-ready and they either don't know it or haven't acted on it. So we have work to do Just with the folks that we can get into homes, we have work to do to be able to inspire them and educate them and give them the tools that they need to purchase real estate. So we do still have a lot of things to be excited about. We have a big market to go after, um, and our Black Wolf Tour is is designed to reach them.
0: One thing, I was doing a bit of a crash course because I didn't know a whole lot about real estate, but could you explain the special purpose credit programs and why NARAB is calling for lenders to utilize them to meet the moment and increase black home ownership. That yes. so you said they have, you have all these folks ready.
1: Yes. Yes. Special purpose credit programs. I'm glad that you asked about these. This is when a lender can create a product specifically for a community to address some of the challenges that that community has. Um, And we're very excited that we've seen several lenders create special purpose credit products for the black community. I'll give an example. Our report shows one of the number one reasons why blacks get denied for a loan is high debt to income ratios. So with a special purpose credit program, They have the ability to maybe underwrite the loan where you can have a higher debt to income ratio. Second reason why blacks get uh, uh, denied, the second most um, reason is low credit scores. So traditionally, we don't have generational wealth, emergency with your cars, medical emergency makes you have to utilize credit. So a lot of times we end up having low low credit scores. When you can create, a lender can create a special purpose credit programs, whereas the usual credit model may need to be a 640 score. But with a special credit purpose program, maybe it can go down to 620 or 600 and still have the borrower be qualifiable. So we are very excited about the onset of special purpose credit programs and the amount of lenders that are coming into the market with very specialized products. So one of the things that we do at NARAB is we have several partnerships and we provide forums at our conferences and monthly meetings, etc. for these lenders to be able to share with us what products they have that are specifically geared towards minority homeownership Geared towards first-time home buyers, and those lenders are going to be part of the tour with us. So when we talked about the tour and the housing expo, this is where you learn about special credit purpose programs, where you learn what these financial institutions have put together to help increase Black home ownership. So we're very encouraged by it. More is still needed, but we're very encouraged by the onset of special purpose credit programs and the opportunities that it will create for homeownership in the Black community.
0: Yeah, so folks who come and think, well, I don't think I can do this because I have this debt or whatever, they might learn at the Wealth Tour, listen, there there are some products yes. that will allow you to enter the market. So yes. come to the Wealth Tour and learn to something. Yeah. And, and, that- and one
1: thing I do want to mention, Mary, mm-hmm. is we have seen special purpose credit programs be increased extremely, uh, an extreme increase since the death of George Floyd. So a lot of these financial institutions um, have taken it. Seriously, and created special purpose credit programs over the past three to four years. So there may be someone that's thinking about coming to the Black Wolf Tour and thinking, well, I tried to get a house five years ago and I didn't get approved. It may be a different environment now. Um, so things have have definitely changed. We've seen a lot more of these programs um, uh, be created. So I would encourage consumers to try again because it just may be something out there that wasn't that did not exist five, five years ago that can help open up the doors to homeownership for.
0: As we close because we've given so much information, is there any additional information you want to make sure that our listeners here, about the association and about the work that you do.
1: Yes, Mary, and thank you again for having me. I really, really appreciate the opportunity. And on behalf of the association, we appreciate the opportunity. But we want to be the voice of Black real estate. We wanna be the trusted advisor in our community. Our organization has been around for 77 years. We were founded to work for, towards democracy and housing. That's what our creed is. That's what our mission is. So we want to be a resource to our community to find a Realtus in your community that you can work with. NARAB.com, N-A-R-E-B.com to find our Realtus chapters, our Realtist members from across the uh, country. But just know that we're committed to our mission. We're committed to increasing wealth in the black community. And we're committed to increasing black homeownership.
0: Well, thank you so much, Dr. Courtney Johnson Rose, uh, the president of the National Association of Real Estate Brokers, for coming on equal time and and giving our listeners a heads up on the Black Wealth Tour. I, 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 maybe I'll change professions. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we need you. Come on.
0: <laughs> well, thank you again.
1: Yes, ma'am. Thank you.
0: So. What's keeping me up at night? What isn't? It seems to me that I'm seeing increasingly aggressive, even violent language and images used by politicians who would lead us. Are we supposed to be entertained, even lured, with things being bombed and smashed in advertisements that veer close to real life dangers? How about bringing us all together? I write about this issue and more in my RollCall.com columns, check them out. So, one equal time listener said, what's keeping him up at night is food. Yes, food. Thinking about how resources in the world, food resources are getting compromised as there are more hungry people in need. Can the supply equal the demand at a reasonable cost? Hmm. I look forward to hearing from all our Equal Time listeners for your ideas, comments, suggestions, and what's keeping you up. Contact me on X at mcurtisnc3. I want to thank you for listening to Equal Time. Please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.